Between the Frames. Music, movies, culture, and faith. Featuring your hosts, John Gibson and Joel Flores. Well, hey there. Welcome to Between the Frames. I'm your host, John Gibson, and I am joined by my partner in crime. Yes, Joel. And uh, today we're going to... Pick up a little bit where we left off a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of episodes ago. We're um, doing a lot of this, like pick up a couple of weeks ago kind of stuff, aren't we? I, it, I, I'm we sort are. of digging it, man. It's fun. I like it's it. fun. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, when um, two episodes ago we did, uh, we talked about um, the Ghostbusters franchise because we we're eagerly awaiting the new Ghostbusters Afterlife, and mm-hmm. uh, and so since that episode was recorded and aired the two of us have gone with our respective families to see ghostbusters afterlife so we're just gonna chat a little bit about that today and um yeah talk all things ghostbusters especially with the you know the um i decided that we needed a little bit of music (laughs) So I can I can add it in post production. How about that? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> that's well, fun though. Yeah, that's well, fun. You, you like know, it. it's it's funny because I you know because we're both musicians. I think we we've, we've we've talked a lot about music too in movies and stuff. But um, mm. I, I when I listen, there are certain songs that for me I get brought back to like a completely different place again. And mm-hmm. the moment that I hear those first notes of Ghostbusters, I, I'm like, you know, 10 years old again or mm. 11 years old again. And, um, you know, you start doing the Dan Aykroyd dance too, right? <laughs> it's just amazing to me. I, I actually had a conversation at dinner with the other night and talked about how like their 1986 and 1987 for me are like these quintessential years where... Um, I, I think it was where I decided to be somewhat rebellious and start watching and listening to things that I had been forbidden from watching and listening to before. You are forbidden. <laughs> yes. And so, um, so like, there's just, I mean, and the, you know, fortunately for me, those were two pretty good years musically. Um, so yeah, in excess kick remi- remains one of my, all-time favorite like 80s albums because of that but but i digress so anyway yeah um, it's, a, it's a charlotte it's a charlotte classic too i mean obviously we have it um so listen i told you last time we were talking that i have the actual lp i i should have brought it up here i'm actually at home today and i have the the original pressing from you know Crazy. when the movie came out it's it's lasted yeah. me all these years and it's in great shape awesome on arista on arista records okay and um you know, it, the Ghostbusters soundtrack and the Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack is fantastic. But Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. it's one of those soundtracks that, as I've gotten older, is better and better and better. Like, mm-hmm. it just has some great funk, some good new wave. It has, like, some really different kind of sound. You know, like, the Saving the Day song is still, like, so cool. Like, it's such a great song. I don't know if you remember that, but, like, right when uh-huh. they're getting ready to, let's roll some red lights. And it's like, damn, damn. That song's like so good, dude, right? And it's just got this great synth and drum track in it. And uh, the band that played that was just fantastic. Then you got that kind of like bluesy 
uh, fun song that you know, um, cleaning up the town that happens when they go to the hotel and all uh-huh. that, right? Like, there's just yeah. it's just a cool album. <clears throat> um, take a listen to it again if you haven't. I want to encourage you guys to like go out there and listen to it, John. Take, take a listen, to, you know, wherever you can stream it, because um, it's got some great songs on it. it. Even has air supply. But but the point is, is that um, it really fit. It's in that time when the soundtrack was really important to movies, right? Like we were saying. And, and the score is really important. And we'll talk about how that's reused in Afterlife, of course. But uh, it's it's the, the soundtrack that goes with it. And that's one thing I would say in Afterlife, as, as, we, as we get ready to dive into it, I would say one of the things that wasn't as present was what is the main theme song or what are the... What are what are some of the main the you know, motif like, like the motif kind of yeah that yeah. that aspect of it right there was mm-hmm. the score for sure um, sure but that drives it because that was that was the one thing I would say right away for me that was mm-hmm. that was one thing that was lacking because I don't know if it's the change in our times or more to reflect that but Ghostbusters one and two was you know probably still in that MTV era and it was so much about the soundtrack being a big part of the movie right oh big so, time yep yeah yeah well and. And uh, if you stay to the end of Afterlife, you hear uh, a song called Haunted House by one of the stars of the film, McKenna Grace, which um, it was an interesting song. I mean, I didn't think it was bad. She has a pretty good voice. Um, But um, yeah, I I, I actually had to when when I watched the movie, because I've actually gone now to the theater twice to watch it because I wanted to rewatch it for for our podcast. But um, I actually thought that they had just kind of taken the the score from the first movie, the original movie, and and did it again because there were so many like even little nuanced kind of sections that I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is they, like they did taken they did. right the same. from. Yeah, it's <clears throat> the same soundtrack, and I think a, a lot of it has to do with pointing back to that first it, Ghostbusters Afterlife has to do with one and two. Mm-hmm. It has to do with the original universe, if you will, of Ghostbusters, and it um, it ties directly back to that for a number of reasons, John. Now, a few things we'll talk about, I hope that we'll dive into, but maybe I'll set it up a little bit, is, is people, you know, uh, first of all, the film has been very well received, and, and mm-hmm. rightfully so, um, but it's funny, in our culture we live in today, there there's the, the negative comments on it are too much fan service too much um callback and it's like you know when you're setting something new up you want the callback if you haven't seen it in a long time because you want to have a reason Mm -hmm. to reattach yourself to the audience who is attached to it right um you know i felt like when i left that movie i was like "Uh, okay i'm totally ready to go forward Mm-hmm. Like, I'm cool with going for it. It doesn't mean those guys are totally gone either. That's sure, the thing. But sure. it's in that place where you're like, okay, I'm I'm ready to move forward. I loved, I thought McKenna Grace did a great job as Phoebe. I was like, okay, yep. there's a great, there's a good example of how you write this youngish female character that's in a believable way. You know, she is Spangler, right? Like, mm-hmm. like to the T right. and the dry wit and that kind of stuff. But I, but I, you know, having Paul Rudd in it never hurts a cast and and I think that it's it's great to have you have those mentorship kind of roles but you know the other kids that are in it I mean Finn Wolford and all and all of them they're they're um you know the young lady I don't know her name who who played his love interest who was the the worked at the diner right. um you know it was this great representative cast I mean you had a naturally 
uh, multi-ethnic, multi-generational, you know, um, natural. It was like a natural, uh, realistic portrayal of of some kids slapped together in a neighborhood. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Having to yeah. deal with this. And it didn't feel forced. And I think that that's what fans appreciated was it wasn't pandering. It wasn't trying to push an agenda. It wasn't trying to say, hey, men can do it better or women can do it better or whatever it is. It was just... It, it just was, and it yeah. had ties to, and I think that that's why fans really received it well, and then it properly paid respect to the original Ghostbusters and to um, the storyline, and kind of, and, and it takes it into the next chapter. So I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there to set it up and say these, these are the whys yep. that it's been received so well, yeah. and I felt like I felt really good about it when I left, and I was like, you know, wasn't perfect. But it was darn fun, and it was super emotional, actually. And and I'm ready for you know whatever happens next. If they take a couple if they take a couple years to do it as they get older, you know I'd be down for it, right? Right. So yeah, yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I just pulled up the Rotten Tomatoes site because, uh, I, you know, my my sons and I talk movies a lot, especially my older one, and it's always interesting to see. The, when there's a big difference between what Rotten Tomatoes says and what the audience says, and this is a case of that, Ghostbusters Afterlife, the, the Rotten Tomatoes score is 63% and the audience score is 95%. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, Joel, but, but for me, I am very, very, I mean, I'm, I, I'm always bucking up against authority anyway, but, but I, um, I am always skeptical of critics because critics have I've been so disappointed sometimes when I've listened to what critics have said and then there have been times that I've been disappointed when audiences have like raved about a movie but but I think what you hit on before is is key and you know a few episodes ago one of the things we had talked about was that like I had brought up the fact that there are certain uh, sequels that the length of time between you know the original and and the sequel is so long. The one that I had mentioned, I think, in our episode was was Mary Poppins. It was like fifty something years between Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins Returns, um, and and I think what what you had talked about of uh, when there's a sequel and you're trying to connect people to the original. I mean. Um, anytime that the old becomes new again, there's something that needs to happen. And I, it's funny because when I'm talking about this, the first thing that pops into my mind is is Wayne's World, which came out like you know what late '80s, early '90s, I guess it was. And I had friends who had siblings who were a lot younger than them, who were coming up after they had heard Bohemian Rhapsody, and they're like. Oh my gosh! There's this great new song by this band called Queen. <laughs> We're like, are you kidding me? Like that song's been around forever, and now all of a sudden yeah. you're discovering it. But but that's kind of the cool thing about things like Afterlife. Oh, that's the day. That's the day and age too of no streaming, no YouTube, no nothing. So oh, sure, it, it was a bigger impact, right? Where if your parents didn't listen to music or consider growing up in your home, if you didn't get yourself exposure, you'd be like, who? Yeah, <laughs> the exactly. Queen of England? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh my god, that right. was an embarrassment for me to be honest with you in middle school sure. like everybody else was listening to stuff and I'm like who, who is that and that's because they were all going to hell John yeah I know just yep. <laughs> and then they burned their records they burned their records at a nice little yeah 
Um, you're right. You're right, though. I mean, there there is that there is that tie in. Right. And and it needs to be there. And I, and, and I think, John, like I've seen a lot of comments where people have said this in a way, this is how they should have handled Star Wars moving forward in the sequels, at least as the original cast. Mm-hmm. You 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 honor them properly. You, you weave them into a story because I think most people, most everybody, especially after Force Awakens, not to jump here too much, but they were really willing and intrigued and willing to even ignore the rehash to, because they, they like the characters. Like, we like the actors. We were yep. like, okay, this is great. And where it went south was was just being incoherent, and we've talked about that. And it, it's not actually that even The Last Jedi is a bad movie as far as a movie goes. It's actually a, a, a really well-done film. Sure. But it's just that it doesn't... It takes the story in a direction people definitely don't want it. it like... In other words, people have said, look, if they just treated Luke in the same way and gave him that opportunity and and then you kind of passing that torch in a way that makes sense, in yeah. a way that drives the story to its conclusion. Okay. Sure. Like you know what I mean? And oh, yeah. and um, I'm just saying that to say that in this case that that's where I think Justin Reitman respected the material. You know, but he was also telling his own story. A lot of the movie you know, is setting up its own thing. And that's where critics are kind of like, you know, ironically, the critics who like slow moving narrative, they were having a problem with this, having a slow moving narrative, which is mm-hmm. kind of, it's just funny to me. Cause it's like, Oh, it was on all these ghosts and they were busting a lot of ghosts. It's like, cause they're setting up the story. And if they right. didn't do that and it was just all candy and, and shooting ghosts 24 seven, then you would have been talking about that. Right. So you're oh, right. Yeah. I mean, there are some critics I do trust, some who are consistent with things, but there are many who are like, I'm like, what are you watching? Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. um, and yeah. there's definitely been movies I've seen where we're like, that was nominated? Okay. Oh, right. <laughs> right? Totally. And others where you're like, that wasn't nominated? I mean, you know, a movie that, that reminds me two years ago, John, three years ago, The Greatest Showman, which is one of my absolute favorites, one of our absolute favorites, there's a movie that everybody loved. And the critics were like, oh, you know, well, you know, this is this is not oh, that yeah. great. And it blew it through the box. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, yep. yeah, yeah. Oh, the and, Internet. Well, and, <laughs> and you know, I, I think I, it's it's a tall order. I mean, I, I remember, you know, we talked you were talking about Star Wars and and when all the news came out about J.J. Abram, like taking on the mantle of directorship of of um, Force Awakens and uh you know ryan johnson and um it was i i just if i were in that position i don't know how i i would respond and i mean i think you we always bring things back to to ministry because that's our context but um it is i've had a lot of conversations recently with people about uh expectations and the expectations that we set for something and and sometimes there are expectations that are set that are just beyond unreasonable. They're like impossible. And and I look at, at that. I mean, yeah, we're talking about movies, but like I look at that in every aspect of life. Like you've got children who have un, undue expectations of their parents, parents who have undue expectations of their kids, husbands who have undue expectations of their wives and vice versa. And um you know, people do this with movies all the time, and and I feel like there's a you could almost the the geeky nerdy engineer in me says you can write an equation to say like there's a there's a connection between the length of time since the original came out and the the 
the size of the fan base. And when you add all those things together, like the expectations can can rise almost exponentially. And you you set you set these undue expectations. And I think one of the things you and I had talked about either offline or even in the, the podcast was that when when you've got something like Ghostbusters and the a franchise that has been near and dear to anyone you know who grew up in the eighties, um, you have that you have that possibility of setting yourself up for incredible disappointment when you go to see a movie like Afterlife. But but if you go with this expectation that like I I just want to have fun and I want to and I I want like interesting and original, but yet at the same time, um, acknowledgement of, of the, of the past. And, and I think afterlife did a great job of not getting bogged down in some of that fan stuff, but, but having enough nods in there that you say like, and I totally agree with you about McKenna Grace. I mean, you look at her and you're like, if Egon had a granddaughter, that's exactly what what she would look like, you know. Um, so yeah, and and she in in there, you know, um, the cast was just they were really fun, and there's something about it that harkened to you know Goonies, Monster Squad, like you know we could do a we could do a show about something. Every time we're talking, we come up with a different show. But we could do a show about like you know those 80s adventure films because really when you look at Stranger Things mm-hmm. the, the thing that is such a big hit about that and and when that show first came out I am an original like before people were all OG, talking about OG. it you know yeah. Yeah, yeah. just like with Cobra Kai man I watched that on YouTube Red okay everybody's like what so like you know when when you talk about that show for example right away john from the score to everything now mm-hmm. i ha- i promise you i promise my listeners this is before researching anything i remember is that summer years ago i'm watching this show it is before charlotte got into it now she loves it now but i had watched the whole season by myself and i go man this is goonies john carpenter the thing theme like totally Monster Squad, like I, I was just going through all of it. I go, it is this mashup, and it, it even feels like, um, you know, some of those movies, like even Flight of the Navigator, like it has all these, these oh, feels man. of all that, where it was kind of um, surreal and out there, but also grounded with like just kids who hung out all the time and rode bikes, a little ET, a little all that, right? Oh and, yeah, and that's why. And, but the theme song, the music, I mean, it's mm-hmm. so oh. like Carpenter inspired, oh, right? And, and you go to you, you go to read that later, and you, you're reading interviews with them. They're like, "Hey, this is where we got our stuff. You know, we kind of got influence from this and from this." And and I kind of had some like really, I don't even remember now, but I had some really obscure movie references there. Oh, The Explorers. Oh you yeah, ever see The Explorers oh, yeah, with River yeah, Phoenix yeah. Yes, and all that. Yep, okay, totally. Wasn't so Ethan, Ethan like, Hawke was in that? Wasn't Ethan Hawke yeah. and River Phoenix. Okay. Yeah. So like. You know, that's a movie many people haven't seen, but it has all that feel, right? And so, sure enough, when they came out, and so, you know, for for guys like you and me, who are particularly interested in that nerdy stuff, um, and anybody listening, I think that you would pick up on that. And so you realize that, okay, so are they copying all those movies? Are they copying all those stories? No, but are they taking some of the greatest parts of what it does is it transports you and i think we've forgotten that it's okay to have films that just transport you to a time i mean that's that's why my father loved 
you know, certain kinds of films that he liked. That's why he could watch Abbott and Costello and, and you know, and The Godfather and all these things. Like, it transports you to a time or people that you kind of know. And, and uh, you know, even George Lucas, he loved to make his movies like serials, like the old serials of the 30s, right? Mm-hmm. It's swashbucklers and all that kind of stuff. And that's why Indiana Jones is so great. That's why, you know, that's what Star Wars was, right? And so you think about these things that we've come to know, um, there's a part of you that wants to transport you back to feeling like, you know, a time when we didn't have to worry about bills and COVID and crap. And right. I think that that's the biggest thing with this film that was a surprise for people. Now, a lot of fans also kept their expectations down. They were ha- they were excited and intrigued because what they were seeing was a continuation, right? And they knew mm-hmm. that Jason Reitman, at least, who was there for all the other ones and was closely you know, working with his father to make sure that that he was telling something original. And the fact that, you know, the OG crew, the fact that Bill Murray wanted to do it mm-hmm. and all that, I mean, says a lot, right? Yeah. So yeah. that was all positive. But even then, fans were tempering like, okay, I'm not going to get my expectations over. I'm going to go in and I just hope, if I can just walk away with a sense of, okay, they paid some dignity to the characters and it was fun or interesting or, you know, told something then, then I'll be happy. And that's mm-hmm. why people... And I'll tell you, John, I, I bet you you did too. I think we talked about this. But at the end of that film, I, 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 by now, I mean, we should be able to give spoilers, okay? So oh, totally. at the end of that film, you know, it was emotional. And But I did call it. I called it before I saw the yeah. movie, way before. Yeah. I said, okay, Afterlife refers to Egon Spangler. That's yeah. what Afterlife yep. has to do with. I bet you anything. And I didn't know what was going to happen. But I said, I, I bet you he's got something to do with helping throughout this film, right? So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, oh, and that's what my, my Dylan, my oldest, was whispering to me during the, the movie. He's like, like in the in all the things moving around and whatever. He's like, oh, I bet you it's I bet you it's Egon. I bet you it's Egon. And um, yeah, I, I, gosh, there's a couple of things that jump out to me even as you say that. And I, I think what's what's been fun. You, you you know, you mentioned Stranger Things. I, I don't know if we mentioned it on an episode or not, but I know you mentioned to me that eight bit Christmas. Too, I think. I think. Did you? Was that you? Yes, you I did. Okay. Yes, I did. And right. and and it's. Uh, I think it's out on. Uh, Is like it to HBO rent Max? on Amazon okay. or something All like right. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, yes, it's out. It's out to rent. I saw it the other day. I'm like, we gotta, we gotta rent that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, and it's funny because, uh, like, there's. What what we're seeing now is uh, you might call it a resurgence, but but all these people who grew up in the same era as us now are the ones who are quote unquote in control. They're the ones who are creating, I guess, and so the creations are like retro creations. So they're creating these things that are are you know harkening back to yeah eight bit Christmas, and I mean, um, gosh, what the I. I you haven't seen that yet, have you? The Eight Bit Christmas, okay? Because yeah, we no, watched it as a, nope. we watched it as a family a couple of weeks ago, and it was funny because I mean, I'm not going to give away too much, but there's this like rich kid in it who has the new gaming system, and <laughs> and he does this like lottery to choose kids who's going to be able to come in and play and stuff. And That's I'm like, hilarious. oh my gosh! And every one of us knew that kid when we grew up. Big time. Like, the kid who was so spoiled and always had the latest greatest thing and then was like using that like you know bait to the get social friends. hierarchy <laughs> i mean i'm like i'm like you're like the ugly dog that someone has to tie a bone around his neck for somebody to play yeah, with right yeah, big mean, time so um 
but but yeah, you know, and you talk about Jason Reitman, who who whose father Ivan Reitman did the original movie, and you know, I've watched a couple of interviews with them, and I just think to myself, gosh, that, talk about a talk about an intimidating thing to have your dad being one of the producers of this film that you're you're basically taking his baby and you're. Um, you're kind of breathing new life into it again. And I, it, I think it speaks a lot to the, um, speaks a lot to the, uh, the relationship that those two had that, that they trust or that, yeah, that Jason was okay to have his dad around. I mean, one of the things we've talked about before, which I think is interesting too, based on like the story here is that um, I think we've talked a lot about like the father son issues in some of the films that we've, we've seen. Um, This one had a a father daughter theme in it and it wasn't necessarily a good one. Um, And there's a lot of like backstory that I, I actually wish that they had fleshed out more. I understand why they didn't because you know you can't you can't fill in every crevice and and gap but but like there was some real angst between um Egon's daughter to the point that you know she's got major abandonment issues and she's so anti-science that she almost has this um hatred of her her daughter because when she looks at her she kind of sees her dad and and feels mm feels abandoned and so it's like oh man wow you know um yeah that was that was something that would have been interesting for for those of us who like a slower plot that would have liked you know some of those details fleshed out but but i think that there's just enough that it's inferred and understood and obviously what we come to understand and you know spoilers here but what we come to understand is that you know, Egon being the scientist that he was, he he was, the, you know, even his relationships with his partners, like they went down and they, they thought he lost his mind, that he took all their stuff, tried to steal the franchise rights, the business, everything, right? And it, and it broke down the relationships. I mean, to see Ray as mad as he was at Egon, right? Right, right. I mean, those two were like the tightest of tight, right? And, and um, you know, I mean, Venkman was always kind of on the periphery anyway, you know what I mean? He, he, you know, one of the running jokes is always, this is Dr. Stance, Dr. Venkman, this is Egon, you know what I mean? And it's like out of all three of them, <laughs> you know, who's, who's the mega nerd, right? But but I think that the, the point being is they, they, it split their relationship and I think you get this inference that that they felt he was so obsessed that he crossed into like conspiracy zone he he crossed into um you know really like a hypochondriac like he was over the top and obsessed obsessive right and really what he was doing the whole time that's why I love that scene where they discover kind of the the you know the portal where Gozer can come back and, mm-hmm. and what you see are the four proton packs and the way they keep it at bay is, you know, it crosses the streams automatically. It's keeping right. it at bay. Oh, yeah. And where he designed this to, that he dedicated his whole life on watch of that because humanity would have been destroyed, right, mm-hmm. within, the, within the context of that story. So when everybody comes to realize that, and it does a good job of building up to that, to be honest, when everybody comes to realize that, it's like, oh, the things, and then you, then you flip the coin and you go, how many times have there been people in our lives or maybe a parent, um, may, maybe it was a colleague or someone where 
you, you had these harboring resentments or thoughts negative about them, but what they were doing was actually for your best interest. It mm-hmm. was it was all with the intention of, no, I, I care so much about you, but I actually have to sacrifice this. I actually have to like lay this down and sacrifice this, my desires, my wants, what I would like to have in life, because the the greater outweighs the personal, right? Like mm-hmm. when we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. What does Spock say? The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one, right? right. And so yeah. that was the approach here that, that he, and I wouldn't be surprised if he stole from some of that. Like, you know what I mean? Like the, that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. And I think that Egon was very Spock-like here. I mean, yeah. that would be logic. That would yeah. be logical, right? Well, and, <laughs> and that's, and that's a very counter-cultural message. Yeah, I it think, is. you know, we, we are. It's different are, than being a deadbeat. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I mean, I think we are so self-consumed in our culture that to think about like others before yourself is is not something that we see very regularly. And and if you are to like it, what it, what we kind of get from Egon's char- character here is that. In the midst of it, he wasn't necessarily showboating or telling everybody, "Hey, this is what this is why I'm doing what I'm doing." Like he just kind of did it, kind of under the cover of night, and um, and it's why. And I we've talked about this before, but you know, don't assume uh, that you understand where a person is coming from without asking where they're coming from, and um, I, you know, especially, I, I mean. In, in today's politically charged culture, there are so many times that people just make assumptions about, okay, well, you did this, therefore you are this. And, uh, you know, that's, it's such a dangerous thing. And I mean, sure, like the, his daughter, Egon's daughter was mad because she felt abandoned. And she said, you yeah, know, and she had in her context, she had every right to be, I sure. mean, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. She doesn't. She doesn't know this, and I think even if she knew, not that it would make it better, but it would give it meaning. It would give it purpose. It would give it a you know. He didn't just he didn't just hate me, you know right. what I mean, or was oh, disappointed he- with me. And and you know, and and girls need their fathers, and that's you know. I know we're talking about Ghostbusters. We're talking about a story, but you know what was interesting to me too, John, is that he didn't feel the the sense I got too is that he felt so. You know, it, it, it fits the Egon character because he was socially awkward. And the, mm-hmm. the idea is where you can buy into it is he felt probably ashamed to even reach out to his colleagues. I mean, even mm-hmm. to Ray of all people to be able yeah. to say, listen, I, I, I know it seems like this. I know it seems like this, you know, and, and that's why at the end, man, dude, when he when he visibly shows. Right. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and it's them working together. You know, it's funny how they each look at him. If you notice, Winston looks at him and looks back at him and, and, and back and then Pete kind of looks over and he's like oh yeah well you're here right. <laughs> and, then, sure. and then Ray just is staring at him right. like just staring right like yeah. smiling but staring and so my point is though is is afterwards it's after everything mm-hmm. calms down and the thing that got me the most this is this is the part that got me and this is this is where I would tie in a, a theme for today's story Winston looks at him and says I miss you, my friend. Yeah. I'm sorry I didn't call you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, like I miss you. Right. And I felt like for every one of them, you know, and even Ray, he's like, I, I'm so sorry I didn't believe you. I didn't trust you, right? Yeah. And 
it's these things where I feel like they had an opportunity to give a send off to Harold Ramis. I mean, let's be sure, honest. Let, sure. You know, um, if I don't know if our, our listeners know this much, but you know, um, one of my favorite movies is Groundhog Day. We could do that one. Um, Harold Ramis directed, wrote, directed that movie, and, and Bill Murray starred in it. And that they had a massive feud and a falling out because they worked together for years. I mean, from Stripes and all these other movies, and, and he and Harold Ramis had a huge falling out. Um, you know, to the point where Harold Ramis actually, he was, Bill was being Bill and yeah. Harold Ramis actually grabbed him by the scruff and like threw him against the wall. You know what wow. I mean? Like they got into a major fight and years of falling out. And it was, it took, it took Harold, you know, basically on his deathbed, Bill Murray chartered a plane, went, went to his home and, and sat with him basically mm-hmm. in his passing moments. But they, you know, they worked Worked they work out. that out, but yeah. I can imagine the guilt that you carry and feel, and you could kind of see it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Bill was channeling that in this, but mm-hmm. you could see his look of regret. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we should have done this sooner too. You know right. what I mean? Sure. Oh yeah. I don't yeah. want to insinuate too much, but that you, 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 when you go with that context in mind, you can kind of read into it a little bit. I guess. Yeah. Is what I'm oh, saying. absolutely. Now, and, and you know, sometimes art imitates life, and vice versa. And so I think, yeah, there's, there's definitely, um, con- connections there. And yeah, it was, it was an em- emotional, you know, ending. I, I think um, we've talked about female characters before, and you mentioned McKenna Grace's character earlier, and I, I definitely felt like it, it was a well-written role that did not feel forced. I, I mean, none of my 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 oldest, who's probably the most critical about you know films and scripts and stuff because of where his head is, like he he didn't come out of that like he did like a Captain Marvel or something and be like, man, that was so contrived or whatever. He, he just felt like, yeah, it, it was a natural thing. And that's, I think that speaks to, to Jason Reitman's writing too, and his ability to be able to have this human connection not in a forced or contrived kind of way, but in a really genuinely, I, I care about, about this and um, yeah that's that's it right there is the human connection part is what the audience connects with we can forgive some plot holes or some you know some things where we're like ah you know or or fan service but but i think that's really what it comes down to and that's why i'm surprised critics can't understand the fact that we care about these characters we care about the characters because they come from something first of all and then they're dealing with their own struggles they have their own story that still needs to be fleshed out right and and i think the way they handled phoebe spangler is she you know she's a kid right it it wasn't like i throw on the proton pack and i know how to do everything i mean yeah she and and naturally we believe her. we're like yeah she's smart she's really smart like un you it's very well established that she is you know gonna pick up the pke meter and figure stuff out right but it wasn't like this easy task she had to struggle with things they had to figure stuff out i mean the podcast character even if first of all he that kid is hilarious and and i know for some they were like oh well he got a little grading i'm like no not really because the thing is is you have to imagine imagine our 10 year old selves right Right. our eight year old selves watching that and and our kids are with us and (laughs) that's part of it you know it's one of the things i love about the lego movie Uh we could we could talk about those sometime but one of the reasons i love that movie is because it's one of those that the whole family likes again because there's a lot of these meta references. There's oh, a lot totally. of the stuff that we as parents get. And then there's a lot of the culture 
clash and integration that our kids get that we're yep. we're getting hip to. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And it's it, it's one of those things where all the way around you kind of just it's just hilarious, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, in this film, it's not that everything's so ha ha funny, but it's the one of my favorite things was just all of her awkward jokes. Oh, her, her ridiculously awkward yeah, dad jokes, right? Like the, totally dad jokes, <laughs> big time. But if you think about it, that is, I mean, that's totally you know. Okay, I'll give you an example. We talked about this in the last show, I think. If it was uh, Do Re, and he goes Egon, right? Like when they turn on the the proton uh-huh. packs in part two, right? And they all look at him, and he just kind of like snar- like smiles at them, and it's that lame dad joke, sure. nerdy, yes. maybe over the top kind of humor, right? Oh, and yeah. so. I think that those things not being contrived, feeling natural, feeling like, okay, she's really the family, even the daughter. I mean, the daughter who's nothing like her dad, you know, not every, that would be weird if they were all nerdy Egons. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, oh yeah, totally. That would be fake too, right? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And that, well, you mentioned that podcast character. He reminds me a little bit of Data from Goonies. I mean, if we're going to keep throwing yes, back. Totally. Like, it's totally. that, you know, he, he's speaking <laughs> and I mean, I agree. Like I was just looking up too. He's, that's his, this is his first film too. He hasn't been yes. in any yeah, other that's feature. Yeah, that's right. So um, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch him to see you know how he oh there's something there's something fun about that right like there's, oh sure there's just um, I don't know there's there's something fun you could tell they had a lot of great chemistry I don't know if you've seen any of the I don't know if you've seen any behind the scenes stuff there's a lot of B roll footage out there where they're kind of hanging out and he and McKenna Grace were just like best buds and that kind of stuff translates she's older now mm-hmm. um, because it's been in post production for a while with COVID but. You know, that girl, I mean, talented, mm-hmm. funny, beautiful kid. Like, yep. you know, it's one of those where, where a lot of people have said over and over again, you know, <clears throat> we hope she really gains some great traction and at the same time can keep, you know, that she has some good people around her that can just keep her, her heart pure, basically, because she's, you know, a breath of fresh air and, I don't know, in a climate where things are ugly all the time. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Hollywood can be a tough place, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 you know the only the only character who I I I think was a, a throwaway in some way, and this is my own bias here, but I am not a huge Finn Wolfhard fan at all. Like I, I think he's overrated. I I watched a movie not too long ago um, that he was in that I just thought to myself, ah, you know, it just. I mean, it, it it had such promise. It's called The Turning. I don't know if you saw it or not, but um, but and of course he was in it. You know, yeah, the, it's on my list. I didn't see it yet, but yeah, um, but um, yeah, I just I don't know. He he he's not all that I I think you know everyone else thinks he is. But I mean, I thought he was okay in Stranger Things, but he honestly was one of the characters in Stranger my, my, Things. My favorite, my favorite Stranger Things is. Um, <clears throat> Oh. You know, the kid with the hat. Oh, I know exactly <laughs> who you're talking about. Yeah. Um, the Chunk character, right? I, yes. I don't know why I can't think of his name right now. I haven't watched it in a while. So it's oh, been yeah. a while. I, I know. I can't. Dustin. And right? everybody loves Steve, like Steve, Dustin. And everybody loves Steve, of oh, course, yeah, right? Of like, course. Well, there's. You know, uh, anyway. Yeah. One of the video games my son plays, there's actually, a, you know, they, they keep throwing in all these extra characters and stuff that you can play as. And there's a, a character who's dressed as Steve when he worked at the 
the ice cream place. Is it Fortnite? So, no, no, it's not Fortnite. Because <laughs> no, they uh, throw them in there too. They have the Ghostbusters in there and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it, Dead by Daylight is like. Oh, is yeah, game, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, yep. yeah. Yeah, I, so, um, yeah, I'm not, so I'm not a huge Finn Wolfhard well, fan. Well, I, I, yeah, and I don't, I don't know that that's so much his, you know, I don't even think he knew he was, I think he said he didn't even know he was going out for, for Ghostbusters when he was auditioning. And, and I think it's more, it, it, it had more to do with, I mean, he's, he's up and coming and mm-hmm. people know him. So there's that. But also, you know, it was pretty believable that he was also a grandson and he was different. You know what I mean? He was a little more, mm-hmm. so he was mechanically inclined. You know what I mean? A little uh-huh. bit more like sure. th- that was definitely Ray Winston kind of, you right. know, the mechanically inclined duo. Um, but I think that, you know, there's a little bit of his his character was a little more of a throwaway in this film for sure. But mm-hmm. he was the catalyst of, you know, getting the vehicle moving and driving around. And, you know, in, in all those stories, you need somebody that's just a little bit older, whether it's Brandon and Goonies or... You right. know, who's also you know Thanos? Oh sure, <laughs> C- totally. Cable, Cable and Deadpool, which is so yep. great. Oh, but man. you know, I, I, whether whether he plays that role or um, you know whether it's it's uh, you know I, again I keep bringing up Monster Squad because I just think it's a movie people should see. But whether it's Rudy in that movie, who's you know the the older junior high kid who you know is that Fred Savage his, was that Fred Savage in that it Monster wasn't Squad? Fred Savage no not at all but it, as a kid it looked like him oh, but uh huh, okay. um not not really well-known actor guy but it but that role is like pretty iconic right so he he's the one who like you know shooting the is making the making all the stuff for them in shop class and everything like that anyway uh, I digress that's a great Fred Decker film but the point is is y- you gotta have that kind of character you have to have a couple of those characters because at the end of the day, then it's just campy if it's a bunch of like eight and 10 year olds <laughs> running around. Yeah. And that was the biggest thing I had a concern with is not the generational gaps, just more of, okay, how are they going to, how are they going to handle this? And then how are the, how are the OG Ghostbusters going to get involved? How are they going to tie that in? And, and uh, to be honest, where I would have loved more screen time and so would everybody else, what they got in screen time was mm-hmm. made its impact and it made sense. You know what I mean? I mean, there's little nuances. I don't know if you caught it the second time you watched it, but you know, even when, when they go, you know, Winston's like, all right, let's toast her. And they, they heat him up and they're like, Ooh, that sounds so good. Right. And, and Peter goes, all right, on the count of three on two, he goes, go on to one and they fire. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and just that, like just that part, and that they're all in tune with that. That's so Peter Venkman, right? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to the count of three, go on two, one, and they fire. <laughs> yep. I don't yep. know if people pick up on those things, right? So. Yeah. No, I I, I didn't even pick up on that one. But, um, yeah. Now I, you did. I, I, yeah, now I've seen it. So, yeah. And, <laughs> well, um, yeah, some of the, talking about some of the throwbacks, too. I mean, Sigourney Weaver and uh, Bill Murray and that. End credit scene. And that's in the post credit scene, right? The yeah. first one. I thought that was yep. funny. And then, of course, um, you know, the Winston um, and what's her name again? I, and Janine. Janine. Yeah, Annie Potts, right? Yeah. Janine, Janine, yeah. Um, um, that's interesting because it kind of sets up possibly what's to come. I mean, I mean, is, is Winston is successful, the most mm-hmm. successful. We find out that he's pretty much been taking care of the guys like he's been looking after them he was he he's paid off all of winston's debt or all of egon's debts so there weren't any he was he was supporting him and then he was 
uh, he's been keeping Ray's bookstore going, even though he doesn't make a lot of profit, right? And mm-hmm. then um, I don't know what what was happening with Peter. I don't know exactly in that regard. It didn't seem like he was doing all that bad himself. Uh, yeah. he, and it's inferred that he and Dana are married. Right. So, yeah. Um, which is awesome. So those are all things that like you want to see. And I think the Winston aspect is so cool because what I love, I love Ernie Hudson, man. He's like one of my favorite kind of just a really talented guy. And I love his character because he's like, I love even in real life. He's like, I love Ghostbusters. Like mm-hmm. I love being a Ghostbuster. It's really important to me in my career and, and I'll do it as much as they ask me. But like in this story, he even says that at the end where he's like, I'm this, I'm that, I'm successful, I have all this. But he goes, I'll always be a Ghostbuster. Oh, yeah. He's like, yep. I, you know, and 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 so I think that story of, you know, when I when I first met you, that's why he's talking to Janine, I was just looking for a paycheck. Oh, <laughs> right? yeah. Yep. Steady paycheck. And I think it was his homage to the guys really saying, you know, thanks for taking a chance on me and, and bringing me with you and and you know I'm, I, there's a story there john is i'm not going to forget you i think there's a lot of a lot of times we can it goes back to that selfishness we we ditch people we know or we 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 ditch where we came from or we just move on and forget once i'm taken care of we'll forget about you and i think the story in that is brotherhood i think the the the, the point of that is you know we look out for one another and and my fortunes are are also to help those around me and care for people around me. And I think there's a there's a message in that. And it sounds crazy, but you know, in the post post credit scene, oh yeah, <laughs> there's, a, there's a message in that, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. There is, and um, you know, I I mean, you talked about it before too. That that whole idea of uh, you know not picking up the phone. And calling. I mean, you, you talked about the, the the lines that were said by you know both both Winston and uh, and Ray, and um, you know I don't know if you've ever been there before either, where, where like it's been so long since you've talked to somebody that you and it maybe it didn't end well, and you just thought like mm, I don't know if I'm going to do this or not. You know, there's mm-hmm. a million ways you can talk yourself out of doing something like that, but. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it should, uh, true friendships, connections, relationships should be able to weather storms like that. And so like, it should never, it should never keep you from reaching out and doing that. And, um, I, I think that's a good, I, I mean, again, both on screen and off screen you see even still this kind of playfulness and connection between those three original guys right and that's right and yeah um, definitely i i think that you know that speaks volumes to the fact that um yeah there's there's still a connection i I, talking about um bill murray i I had just let somebody borrow caddyshack and i think about some of the stories about the behind the scenes stuff there that like Chevy Chase and Bill Murray <laughs> hated each other and they they almost were I think they were almost forced to be in that one scene that they were in together in that movie and even that scene mm-hmm. was was hard for them to do and I'm like oh my gosh but um, but then yeah you see stuff like this with these guys who hey they're 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 not afraid to to you know really go deep and and make connections with with these guys i i would i would love to go hang out and have a beer with bill murray sometime because he seems like 
I love some of his later roles. I mean, he was great oh, yeah, in Caddyshack. Yeah. But like, have you seen the one? Have you seen the one that's on Prime? Uh, I, no, 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 on Apple TV. On Apple TV. Uh. Uh-uh. Have you? Oh my gosh, I'll dude! Have to check um, it out. Keep, keep, keep talking, and I'll pull it up for you. Um, it's one that he did recently this last year. Where he plays the dad okay. who helps his daughter. His daughter, they think his the husband left her, and he uh-huh. like takes her around looking for him. Yeah, um, but he's kind of got like some money, and I'll, I'll pull it up here in a minute. Just well, yeah. On. I mean, I I, I loved him <laughs> in in uh, all the Wes Anderson movies. Steve Zissou's uh, Life Aquatic. I loved him in. Uh, um, oh gosh, what the heck? Royal Tenenbaums, uh, Lost in Translation. Um, I loved him in Rushmore too. Yeah, he's been in pretty much every Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, he's um, in, he's in all those, and, and and the newest one, which you haven't seen yet. Yeah, which I not, told you to go watch. I haven't seen the French Dispatch yet, but is it on the so rocks? So I saw it with Char. Um, on the yeah, rocks? here it is on the rocks. I've got okay. it right here in front of you. All right. So the movie he's in right here with. Um, oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rashida Jones. Rashida Jones. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, it's really good. It's okay. really good. So that one came out this last year, and uh, you know, yeah, and 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 the French Dispatch is mm-hmm. hilarious. You know, it's one of those. Where everybody's in the in the movies together, right? Uh, the the Budapest Hotels. One of I don't think he's in that one, but that's one of our favorites. So those Wes Anderson movies are very creative. They're outside of the box, right? Oh, so, totally. Uh, they're either they're they're either you get it or you're like, what the heck am I watching? So oh. I, I would say if you are, if you don't like sometimes like quirky indie, I don't know, sort of Europeanish kind of films, then you you probably you yes. probably wouldn't get that. If you're, if you're kind of like, yeah, yeah if you're kind of like a Will Ferrell only comedy or. <laughs> Jim Carrey, you're probably not going to get it. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, I, I think that, you know, Murray's one of those guys who just continues to transcend generation. He's one of my all-time favorite actors, comedians, and the, there's this thing about him that's, um, I don't know if it's that he reminds me of family members. I don't know if it's that he reminds me of an uncle. I don't know what it is, right? Uh, he's, he's, he's always kind of, like, trying to put off the suave, because he kind of is, but he also like isn't. Do you know what I mean? And oh, it's yeah. like this whole, you know, does he take himself too seriously or does he not? Is he is he doing a play on people who take themselves too seriously and that's why it's funny. You yeah. know what I mean? Even even in this even in this movie at the end when he finally sits down with Phoebe he goes, "Hey there, Pete Bankman from the Home Office. Mm-hmm. I like your style." Right. You know, like like yeah. the whole, you know, even the monologue, you, you, he was riffing that basically. The monologue he has with Gozer. Yeah. He's like, "You know, I thought, you know, we could have been the greatest power couple, you know, just going on <laughs> yeah. and on, wasting time while they're sitting there trying to trying yep. to get it so Winston can shoot him. I mean, that was a little bit of a throwback to Ghostbusters 2 right there, uh, yeah. that part, where he's monologuing to Vigo, right? Uh-huh. I mean, to come back of all times to, in all places, to New York, you know what I mean? Why not go to the San Fernando Valley or whatever it is, right? Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. that whole, like, stalling tactic, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I liked uh, a lot of that stuff at the end too. I mean, the connect you you mentioned the connection um, between uh, McKenna Grace's character and Bill Murray's character. I think even when uh, what's his name Ray and and podcast were talking, and he found mm-hmm. like all of a oh, sudden podcast <laughs> finds out like who his one subscriber is, and he's like, <laughs> "Yeah, I really feel like it found its voice on the forty sixth episode," which I'm like. Oh. <laughs> Let let's hope that between the frames doesn't take forty six episodes to find episode. our our, 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 our voice. 
Oh man, I was I was laughing at that, and it made perfect sense because podcast is totally the Ray type of personality, like you know, smart but funny, like intriguing, but kind of like always you know pushing the envelope, right? So I, yeah. I, I it was funny that they totally connected. It made a hundred percent sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. Well, and when he's what Ray, you know, when when he was asked that question that everyone knew was coming from Gozer, like, "Are you a god?" and you know, you, you see a god. Yeah, you see them look <laughs> over. You see Ray and Winston look over at him, and they're like, "Winston's right, like, come on, Ray." Right. We've been we've been through this before. Like, are you gonna do it? Are you gonna? And he's like, "Yes, I." <laughs> Because so. Winston's like, yeah, we're all gods, and right. uh, yeah, he he's like, he, Winston's like, come on, come on, Ray, and then and then Pete's like, oh, come on, Ray, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, right. don't, don't do this again. Yeah, exactly. But it's, it, it's you know, even when he calls her out, you know, goes with the Gozerian, you know, as a duly representative of blah 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 blah, and he starts going through his spiel. But I think that, you know. All, all of those things, but it wasn't even them in themselves. Everybody had to work together, and that's where, where, I, where I think that I, I should have seen it coming. I just didn't think it was gonna. Here's where I was surprised, and I think people were surprised, and this is why because it was done so well. I think we were surprised that they actually manifested Egon, mm-hmm. and and do you know that that was Ivan Reitman playing that? Oh, really? So Ivan was... Reitman was wearing no, was actually wearing Spangler's suit from the okay. movies. Huh. Was wearing it, and then they superimposed old footage of Harold Ramis okay. over him. Interesting, and that's why his face was so real. Um, and of course, the technology now is just so good, right? Crazy. So, yeah. but that was actually Ivan Reitman doing it, and and Jason wanted him to do it, and, and it was the right. You know, that adds a little something else to it when you think about it in the film. You know, it's the the perfect person to do it, honestly. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. The father of the films, the the, the send-off. And I didn't see that. I I guess I kind of did, but I didn't. I didn't know how they were going to pull that off. And Mm -hmm. when it did, that's why it made people so emotional was it looked really genuinely real. Mm -hmm. But it also added some closure. Like, it was like the four of them standing together, them, them... defeating you know once and for all but also getting to put some things to rest and I, and i think that you know like somebody said if they do the next ghostbusters it might be ghostbusters back to life or new right. life or something like yeah. that right like just a new chapter right? are they gonna do so, like spider-man with like everything has to yeah, do with no home, way home right yeah Oh, oh well, my and, word, and dude! You know, the other I cannot thing... wait. I cannot wait. Oh yeah, to see. I am a two days, massive Spider-Man well, fan. Two days from when it. we're recording, at least. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Well, People we'll are already that. trying to put all these spoilers out there. I'm like, stop. Yeah. <laughs> well, the you know the stop other people. the other thing about kind of. Uh, like materializing um, Egon mm. at the end was it's almost a throwback to Return of the Jedi too, right? You think about what's happening yeah, with, sure. the, with the for Ewok sure. celebration, and you know the question is which Egon are you going to get? Are you going to get like the Hayden <laughs> Christensen? <or> get... <laughs> yeah, but no, I thought I thought it was good, and and overall, just I mean, a fun movie. I I, I think that people who I don't know. There's going to be a, a couple of different people that see that this Ghostbusters Afterlife movie. People who are like us, who were so steeped in the original that were like just, you know, antsy to go see it. Um, there are going to be people who may be introduced to the Ghostbusters world for the first time and who I think may actually go back and watch 1984's Ghostbusters after Afterlife. Um, 
And then there are going to be people who are probably going to show up and be like, yeah, this movie was like, I don't really get it. It doesn't make sense. Right. And, um, and that's fine. But I mean, for, for sure. me, I thought, I thought it was a fun movie and there was enough, you know, seriousness of it, even connection. I mean, I, I, it, it was touching to me when the daughter, when Egon's daughter like hugged him and I thought it was pretty, pretty telling that it was in that hug that he kind of vanished because it almost, right. it almost, you know, you use the word closure. And I think that's, that's kind of what you well, see. Well, the there. unfinished business wasn't actually even, wasn't even the stopping of Gozer. The unfinished business was, I think, you know, trying to make his daughter understand that he cared the why. about her. Right. Right. Yeah. And even, and even the guys just getting them together and being like, you know, um, not, not, and I told you so, but you know, um, you know, remember who I was. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. Sure. And, and so that's, you know, those things are important. And so those themes in these stories are so important because, for life, it's what's again, it's what's so funny. But film mirrors life, and vice versa. I think that we we need to understand. You know, some of the deeper themes in this is is family. Um, you know, reconciliation, mm-hmm. uh, dependency on one another. Sure. Um, you know. Uh, like we talked about with Winston, um, taking care of people around you when you're able to do that. Like, you know, if you're able to do that and, um, these are all themes that we should carry with us to be honest. And and, and the reason why people react to it is that's what people want to see. You might say like, well, people just want to see that. It's like, yeah, I mean, there is a, there's a time for existential writing. There's a time for writing outside of the box or, you know, creating stories that, you know, defy culture but but to be honest with you in today's culture those themes defy culture yeah i mean that's that's the the huge irony is we want you know anti-hero we want all this you know negative and i'm tough and i don't need anybody and i can do it all or you know i'm a woman who can do everything or i'm a you know whatever it is we want all these things but at the end of the day what we're not seeing anymore is oh man people who need to solve things together people who need to depend on one another people who need to take care of each other people who are interested in reconciling their relationships you know what i mean and and this kind of stuff and so that's why i think that appealed to those are the themes that appealed to people not just you know shooting lasers at ghosts you know that makes it fun (laughs) we expect that right yeah. So I do want to say, too, that um, some people have been really harsh online. You know, this is what it should have been. Forget that 2016 garbage and, you know, it erases that off the earth and all that kind of stuff. And again, I just want to make a disclaimer that um, I was actually encouraged because some people said, you know what? I'm OK with it having universes now. I'm OK with this being this Ghostbusters universe and 2016 having its own universe and, and that kind of thing. I thought, well, OK, that's a good we got what we needed, and that's a good compromise because it's true. I, I do feel that uh, specifically the actresses and the actors in that film got, got you know, a lot of bad flack. It's it's not their fault. They're all very funny and talented. You know what I mean? Sure. And working with the material they have. It's not like they were sitting down writing it, you know. And so I just want to say as a disclaimer, um, there's things to be had or appreciated value. But I think the difference is that, that went for being you know just kind of straight up funny in its own story but i think ghostbusters was never really just a slapstick movie it never was it was always you know a science fiction oddity if you will right. that had a lot of humor in it right yeah. it was almost like i mean the original ghostbusters is almost it's just it's 
you laugh at things where you're like, should I be laughing at that? <laughs> you know, the symmetrical book stacking in his in his house, by oh, the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, even even Charlotte, who's a casual fan, very casual, recognizes those things. Right. She's like, you're right. Ray, no human would stack books like this. Right. So, yeah. Anyway. Funny. <laughs> well, hey, John, somebody blows their nose and you want to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, that's what I got. Well, go see it. Ghostbusters Afterlife. Thanks, yep. Jason Reitman. Yep. I doubt you'll ever hear this, but uh, well done. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, hopefully, uh, yeah, you'll get a chance to go see it, and um, we'll we'll give it our our thumbs up and think that, especially if if like you like I said earlier, like if if you have any connection to the original and and you you like the original i think you'll like afterlife as well so um so yeah just a couple of things we're we're winding down 2021 here and um so we've been going since april hey john this is is this going to be our 14th 14th? yep this will be our 14th and i think by the end of 2021 we will uh have done i think we should have 15 yep we're gonna do one more uh before the end of the year and publish that before 2022 hits um we're gonna you know if you joined us for our last episode we did planes trains and automobiles a a good Mm. holiday movie and I think just uh, with the Christmas theme, we're going to hit on some of our top <laughs> top uh, Christmas movies of all time. So that should be interesting. Uh, I think least. we're going to do a little comparison and contrast, John, between, I don't know, Christmas movies that have some thought and the direct-to-Hallmark specials. Oh, gosh. No offense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, because well, Christmas movie culture has become a whole thing, right? Oh, like, gosh. you know. Yeah, it's like Amish Christian romance novels too, right? I think you've got. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I I I won't even venture to. Do you go. read a lot of those, John? Do you uh, read a lot of them? You, you know you? it. I'm a closet fan. You know, I, I I follow their whole catalog. That's what I. Do. Yeah, I was gonna say you. you, you, you I was gonna say you celebrate their whole catalog. I celebrate their hey, whole listen. catalog. Hey, listen, so uh, I do want to especially, I also want to just throw out there, hey, thanks to our listeners, uh, those of you who are out there. um, Thanks all four of you. Just kidding. Thanks to our (laughs) listeners out there. And and the many of you we don't don't know or interact with, um, you know, I encourage you to, uh, you know, give us some feedback. We'd love to hear what are some, what are some themes that are hitting you that, that maybe we're pulling out of these films or that we're, we're talking about. What are some things that you see? between the frames what are what are uh what are some things that make an impression on you um have you gone and seen any of these movies for the first time and thought to yourself wow i'm really glad that i did we'd love to hear that and john um our listeners can write they they can follow us on social media they can follow us on spotify anchor uh google podcasts uh, definitely on apple Apple. podcasts Mm -hmm. and uh and john where can they write in they can write in at podcast between the frames at gmail.com so uh yeah feel free i think we've gotten one email from from a a fan and listener so and uh hopefully in in 2022 we'll we'll start delving into some of the episodes that have been recommended to us Um, yeah jen i'm gonna give you a shout out that's it yeah jen i'm giving you a shout out Thanks for uh, writing in some awesome stuff and also giving us uh, some great feedback and pushback, even on on Facebook. It's well, fun. And she's already she's already said you're a bigger movie nerd than me, which is a big deal. But I said, you know, you had you had a little bit of extra time. I I got into the game late because of all the prohibitions that my parents put on. Me. Uh, we're different. We're different. We're 
it's true, but we're different kinds of nerds. Too. Oh, totally. You're, you know what I mean? You're a little more like Dylan nerd. Like, well, you know, uh, you know, technically this is where uh, this script was written. And, uh, yeah. you know, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, oh, man, it's so good. Yeah. Well, I look forward to our last episode coming up. And yep. uh, thanks for tuning in. Yeah, we appreciate you all. And uh, thanks for listening. Um, if you're liking what you're hearing, please share it out. Uh, because the only way that other people are going to hear about this is is when you share it out. So feel free to do that. Uh, check out the, the last episode of, of 2021, which will be coming up uh, within the next couple of weeks. And uh, thanks again for listening. Thanks, Joel. And always a good time and, and a good conversation. And we hope that you will join us next time when we check out to see what's between the frames. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Between the Frames with John and Joel. If you like what you've heard today, please remember to click subscribe and give a share and a follow on social media. Each episode will look to dive into the deeper meanings behind movies, music, and culture as it relates to life and faith. Thanks for listening and see you next time.